0: You're going to love this. Just love it. Ah, yes. Yes, you will. Maybe. I'm
1: stuck in the
0: middle yes, I am stuck in the middle with you back on the broadcast on KPFK Pacifica Radio, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, 91.7 FM on KYAQ up on the Oregon Central Coast. And of course, coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org, on the Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app, on the Progressive Voices channel, on Netroots Radio, on ND Media Weekly, and now on iTunes. Yes, you can run, but you can't hide, even here, during this news summer from hell. And it absolutely is a news summer from hell. Uh, Welcome to the show. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly citizen investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. We are live in studio this afternoon after uh, a couple weeks off during KPFK's drive break. My thanks to everyone uh, who listened and who supported during that break, supported corporate-free radio over your public airwaves. Thank you for that. Um, We are back. We've got a lot of stuff to cover, a lot of stories that we have been uh, following for months and months, uh, frankly, that we need to update since we were last here. Uh, I will do that a little bit later in the show. We've got updates on the North Carolina voter suppression law. We've got an update on California's corporate personhood proposition. And it's not good news. Uh, neither is the North Carolina news. I told you it was the new summer from hell. We've got a really, really bizarre turn in the Don Siegelman case. Uh, that's a former Alabama Governor Don Siegelman. He was railroaded in an outrageous scheme engineered by Karl Rove. He's now in jail for uh, serving his seven-year term. Uh, he's been uh, described, Don Siegelman has, as American, America's political prisoner by Tom Hartman last time I was on the... Uh, Show talking about that with Tom Uh, But this bizarre turn In the case is really bizarre And it has to do with the judge In the Siegelman case Uh, We'll also have Desi Doyen and the Green News Report as usual a little bit later Uh, We'll have news On uh, this summer's extreme Weather, the flooding in Detroit uh, Now out on uh, Long Island I think today Uh, Apparently we've just broken the uh, Climate, that's it, it's broke Uh, News about the Keystone XL pipeline, disturbing news about methane now bubbling up out of the melting Arctic and much more all of that ahead. But first, back in Iraq, Jack, as my upcoming guest author and peace activist David Swanson snarkily and critically mused, As President Obama announced new military and humanitarian efforts in Iraq. Late last week, the president authorized what he described as two different but related operations in Iraq. Targeted airstrikes to protect our American personnel, as he described it, in the Kurdish capital of Erbil in the north of Iraq. And, quote, a humanitarian effort to help save thousands of civilians, uh, Iraqi civilians of the Yazidi sect, who are, he said, ...trapped on a mountain without food and water and facing almost certain death, unquote, after they fled and are now said to be surrounded by advancing forces of the Islamic State of Iraq and Libya, or ISIL, otherwise known as the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, or ISIS, or just the Islamic State. Uh, ISIL is reportedly an exceptionally violent and ruthless group who has been taking control of one city after another across northern Iraq and Syria and now reportedly uh, threatens the oil-rich Kurdish capital where Kurdish Peshmergi uh, forces are said to be preparing to go to battle to keep them out. The president has stated that targeted military action, a bombing campaign in other words, near Erbil would be carried out only in order to hold off any advances towards Erbil by uh, ISIL at least until the Kurdish forces could be fully armed to protect themselves and uh, near that mountain to protect what he says could be tens of thousands of Yazidi who have been chased up by ISIL forces, where they are now said to face certain starvation on the mountaintop or a violent death, a possible genocide, as the president described it, at the hands of ISIL if they come down.
2: So let me close by assuring you that there is no decision that I take more seriously than the use of military force. Over the last several years, we have brought the vast majority of our troops home from Iraq and Afghanistan, and I have been careful to resist calls to turn time and again to our military, because America has other tools in our arsenal than our military. We can also lead with the power of our diplomacy, our economy, and our ideals. But when the lives of American citizens are at risk, we will take action. That's my responsibility as Commander-in-Chief. And when many thousands of innocent civilians are faced with the danger of being wiped out, and we have the capacity to do something about it, we will take action. That is our responsibility as Americans. That's a hallmark of American leadership. That's who we are.
0: That's who we are, says uh, President Barack Obama late last week. Uh, If the situation with the Yazidis on that mountaintop and potentially Kurds in Kurdistan are facing a potential genocide, shouldn't the U.S. take action, including military action, if it's the only way to halt a genocide or stop a potential one? Uh, I don't know if we should or not, but uh, my next guest I know has some thoughts on that. And, uh, well, let me bring him on. David Swanson is a peace activist, blogger, radio host of Talk Nation Radio, author of several books, including War is a Lie and When the World Outlawed War, which you can read about and purchase at his blog, warisacrime.org, or davidswanson.org. Hey, David, welcome back, sir, to the broadcast.
3: Hey, Brad. Good to hear
0: your voice. Really appreciate your time here. I know uh, you only have a few minutes for me today, and and I appreciate them. Uh, Listen, anti-war voices get very few opportunities to be heard over our public airwaves. Uh, And ironically, that seems to be even more true under Democratic presidents, uh, for some reason, because those who might be inclined, I guess, to oppose a Republican president seem to work very hard to find reasons to believe that their Democratic president is doing the right thing, even when that thing is bombing and arming entire populations for war. So I wanted to turn to you, David Swanson. You know, even in this case, we've got Barbara Lee, Congresswoman from California, the only member of both the House and Senate to vote against going into Afghanistan after 9-11. Even she uh, said that she supports this, quote, limited action. So I wanted to go to you. I consider you, David, the conscience of the broadcast. <laughs> to explain to me what uh, isn't being adequately explained uh, in the rest of the media about what is going on and why what Obama is now doing is not a good thing, David.
3: Well, it's not a good thing, because it's going to make matters worse in every possible way. Uh, When you drop 500-pound bombs on people, you kill a lot of people, innocent and otherwise. Uh, And for this president, who has killed thousands of innocent people with drone strikes, who is busy shipping uh, weapons to Israel, manufacturing Hellfire missiles night and day to get them to Israel, to, to... launch at civilians in Gaza uh, who has a foreign policy like his predecessors that has virtually nothing to do with preventing death and destruction, quite the contrary. Uh, you have to ask yourself, how many of these people, who are, including Congresswoman Lee, who are accepting of this would, be, would even consider it if George W. Bush were still president? Uh, you know, the, the idea that Barack Obama being president makes war okay is outraged. Are there American troops in Erbil? Are there uh, American US, uh, U.S. oil corporations in Erbil? I mean, this if this is going to be a corporate-free broadcast, uh, mm-hmm. we have to deal with the corporate influence on this policy. If this were not the oil-rich region, as you describe it, the the approach of the U.S. government would be dramatically different. Those U.S. personnel can be taken out of there on helicopters. The president doesn't want to do that. He wants to leave them there. The people on the mountaintop, a a significant percentage of them, had escaped before the president was able to use them as an excuse to launch this military campaign. They can be delivered food and water. They can be assisted in escaping. And if you can send in the helicopters with the food and, and the evacuation personnel, you can also send in negotiators. You can also send in People to a- attempt what the-, the Iraqi government has been failing at so miserably, and that is uh, achieving peace and stability in Iraq. And the idea that bombs are going to do it after 12 years of bombs doing the exact opposite is ridiculous. You are going to drive the people you are bombing into the arms of ISIS You are going to empower ISIS as the people who are fighting back. You are going to strengthen the divide between the Sunni and the Shia that was created by the U.S. invasion and occupation, uh, during which, needless to say, a half million to a million and a half Iraqis were slaughtered, and some of these minority groups were virtually eliminated, some were entirely eliminated, uh, and the United States, had it wanted, to, to do something about so-called genocide could have stopped engaging in it.
0: Well, let, let me ask you this, Dave, because I know that you only have a, a few more minutes here, and I, I want to press you on this. And I don't want to relitigate because, uh, of course, I agree with you on probably, you know, all of your points, certainly about what we've done in, in Iraq, uh, Israel, and so forth. What I'm looking at here, though, is a case uh, in Erbil. Uh, you're right. We could pull out those assets. It's an oil-rich reg- region. Uh, we could pull out, uh, you know, the people at our consulate. Uh, it's a s- different story, I think, on on that mountaintop. So my question is, if these forces move up that mountaintop, and we've got a report late this afternoon, I don't, you can't confirm it, that the uh, ISIL forces say they've got a hundred uh, women, uh, Yazidi women, now uh, that they are holding. Uh, if they move up that mountain, or if they're they move into uh, the Kashmir region, into Erbil, and can't be stopped by the Kurdish forces. And we are looking at a genocide. Shouldn't the U.S. take action, even if that's military action, to stop that genocide from happening? And if they shouldn't, uh, you know, wh- what do we do to stop a genocide, or is it just not our problem?
3: You're going to have to define a genocide, because people, a genocide is in the perspective of the beholder. Uh, when 97% of the deaths in Gaza are on the side of the Palestinians, people say, oh, look, that's a genocide. 97% of the deaths in the U.S. invasion and occupation of Iraq were on the side of the Iraqis. We didn't call it a genocide because the United States was doing it. The United States has not been sitting by, not taking action. The United States has been propping up and arming an Iraqi government that's been attacking its own people in cities like Fallujah, attacking innocent people uh, and slaughtering them in significant numbers. ISIS almost certainly has weaponry obtained via the United States in Syria, not to mention U.S. weaponry provided to the Iraqi government and seized by ISIS. The United States is now talking about arming the Kurds, and who knows where that weaponry is going to end up. This is a vicious cycle that can be presented as having good intentions in a moment of crisis, but is going to make matters ever worse. Uh, this, is not, this is not the United States coming in, having been sitting on the sidelines and riding to the rescue. Uh, so, so let United me. States so, David.
0: Militarizing. So, so yeah. you're saying if those, uh, g- the, those ISIL forces start marching up that mountain, and you and I, obviously, we can't confirm if it's true. So, for now. I'm saying drop
3: food on those ISIL forces. I'm saying drop negotiators on that, those ISIS forces. I'm saying lose 12 Americans trying for peace rather than 4,000 Americans trying for desolation and destruction. That's the road we've been down. Try something different. I am not saying do nothing. I am not saying I love Hitler and I love genocide. (laughs) I am saying there are wiser approaches, and over the past century, nonviolent resistance has proven more effective than violent. And we blind ourselves to the wide array of alternatives, just as we did last September until Congress stood up and said hell no to the missiles, and then all the other alternatives opened
0: up. And so that remains that mean, that remains true in, in your mind, David, and you make a compelling argument, uh, and I'm not even disagreeing with you, I'm trying to press you. Is, that remains your argument if there is an active, ongoing genocide that we know is going on that is actually occurring... We should say, well, here's some food, Uh, please negotiate with us. If it results in thousands of people being killed, tens of thousands of uh, uh, people in this Yazidi sect being killed, so be it. That's the price we pay for uh, trying to find peaceful solutions. Am, am I correct? Do I understand your your position? I'm
3: saying. I'm saying that you're 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 trying to put words into a mouth of a government that has absolutely no interest in human rights and protection of people from genocide. If it did, it wouldn't be arming Bahrain and Jordan and Egypt and Israel. Uh, And the scenario you're describing is not more credible than the one in Libya, which is well-documented to be an absolute fraud, putting uh, false threats in the mouth of Gaddafi that were not there in order to justify an aggressive attack that has left Libya in a a highly chaotic and and, uh, dangerous state. Uh, And that is going to be the result, no matter how well-intentioned on the part of some supporters, uh, of using military force that is killing lots of people. No one even stops to calculate how many people are going to die from the bombs compared to how many people are supposedly going to be protected. And for how long? For a day? And then you drop more bombs? Uh, You know, this is valuing certain people as nothing in order to value other people uh, as human beings in need of emergency defense without even thinking through what that means and and how, how it's going to help you beyond next week. You need a different defense of those people then dropping more bombs uh, for three percent of what the of what we spend on the U.S. military, we could drop food and water a- and uh, on the entire planet, uh, <laughs> not not just the nation of Iraq. Uh, and we could provide serious assistance in agriculture and green energy, you know, to the world for a small fraction of what the United States spends on its military. It sounds ridiculous. Drop food on 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 terrorists who engage in violence. Something the Pentagon would never do, but. It would cost a fraction of what it is costing for those bombs and those missiles and those now 430 advisors. Brad, have you ever tried to take advice from 430 people in in an urgent moment? They're not advisors. They're not trained to advise anyone. They are armed soldiers labeled non-combat forces. This is how the United States got into Vietnam. Uh, If we've learned nothing You know, then, okay, let's proceed down this path. Uh, But I, I, I think sooner or later we're going to have to learn
0: i I one hundred percent agree with you, of course, about our hypocrisy about picking and choosing our genocides, the genocides that we give a damn about. Uh, I obviously you know agree with you about you know, the lies, the historical lies over the years in cases like this. As a matter of fact, it was just a year ago. I, I looked it up. I think we had you on this show last time, David. I can't believe it's already been a year uh, to talk about Syria and the questions about what was going on there when Obama wanted to take action there. i I still remain concerned uh, about what we do if we do anything or if we stand idly by when a real genocide is actually going on and I can't tell you if it is going on if it will be going on uh, what we describe as genocide you're right we're you know sitting by not just standing by in uh, uh, Israel and Palestine but actually arming one side of that conflict the side that is doing all of the killing so uh, you know I, I agree I'm just uh, torn, and this would be true, at least for me, whether it was a Democratic or a Republican uh, president. I've been critical of Republican presidents for not taking action during ongoing suic- uh, uh, genocides. And so, uh, you know, I, I, it, it remains very difficult for me to stand by and say, oh, let's do nothing if, in fact, the facts are real and there really is a genocide.
3: It is a false choice. To bomb the hell out of a region of this planet or do nothing is a false choice no matter what party you're speaking for. There is an array of thousands of actions one can take. And sending in peace workers, sending in human shields, sending in negotiators, sending in humanitarian aid and assistance to the entire region uh, would cost a lot less money and risk a lot fewer lives uh, and a lot. Less lasting damage in terms of blowback and hostility and violence in that region and and in the homeland of the empire uh, than the course that you are presenting as the only possible action other than do nothing well i uh,
0: I'm not presenting that uh, as the only possible course of action. I'm saying in cases where that is the only possible course of action, but you're suggesting that there is always something else to do. It doesn't
3: exist any more than the case where you got to torture somebody for moral reasons. It doesn't exist. It's a mythological scenario that doesn't happen in real life. A situation when you must bomb people and there's no other choice. It is always presented that way. Every single war is presented as an urgent, emergency, last resort, no other option available. Libya was presented that way, Gaza is presented that way. Syria back in September was presented that way right up until the moment when people said no, we're not going to stand for it. And then there were dozens of other options clearly available that had been sitting there on the table all along. Uh, it does not exist in real life. The situation when a war is needed.
0: David Swanson, a peace activist, author, and a, a an important voice uh, to be heard on this issue. I wish you were heard uh, in many, many more places. But I'm glad that we could give you the opportunity to be heard here to make your case because I think it's a good one and it needs to be heard David Swanson author of War is a Lie and When the World Outlawed War uh, get more info at warisacrime.org or davidswanson.org or follow him on the Twitters at David Swanson I promised to get you out five minutes ago I'm five minutes late my apologies to you and your family David but thank you very much as always for, uh, for joining us all my fault thanks Brett. thanks my friend Say it again. And keep saying it. Somebody's got to. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. Come back with much more broadcast, much more news uh, catching up from a couple of weeks off. Uh, And maybe some calls. Do we have time for some calls? Well, we'll see. Uh, You you can try your luck. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. 818-985-KPFK. You can also uh, tweet me at... The Brad Blog on the Twitters. You're listening to the Bradcast on KPFK. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned.
2: And the performance is located at 350 South Grand Avenue. LA's premier outdoor summer concert series presents Joe Driscoll and Cheku Kuyate at 8 p.m. on Friday, August 15th, in downtown Los Angeles. The international collaboration between US born, England based Joe Driscoll and Guinean Cheku Kuyate is a smooth blend of Afro blues, hip hop, folk, and reggae. The evening opens with Vikash Kapoor, a 21st-century folk singer-songwriter in the populist tradition. For more information, go to grandperformances.org or kpfk.org. KPFK is a proud media sponsor of this night at Grand Performances. Be there!
0: way to hell on KPFK Pacifica radio this is the bradcast uh maybe it's just the hov lane to purgatory either way glad you could uh join us this afternoon brad friedman of bradblog.com here with you i will try to get to some of your calls if i can 818-985-5735 but i gotta uh, so hang in there if you're on the line i will try to get to you Uh, A couple of things, a bunch of things, actually, we need to catch up on as well. Before we left, before the fun drive uh, break, uh, we had some good news about uh, the overturn Citizens United Act out here in California, or Prop 49. It was placed on the ballot. It was passed by the legislature. It was an advisory measure, essentially. Uh, calling on Congress to propose an amendment to the United States Constitution to overturn Citizens United and, quote, to make clear that the rights protected by the United States Constitution are the rights of natural persons only. Well, that was good news. This November, California, the state of California, was at least going to be able to express their voice on this issue and let Congress know we would like a constitutional amendment. Um Bad news late this week. The state Supreme Court of California, dominated by five Republican appointees and one Democratic appointee, has intervened in this case. Uh, it, there was a lawsuit filed by the uh, right wing Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association out here to stop this ballot initiative from getting onto the November ballot. Uh, in a five to one decision, the state Supreme Court has decided to nix. This from the November ballot, uh, at least uh, uh, temporarily, until a a full hearing can be had in September. But that means that it won't be on the ballot, uh, most likely this November. The earliest would then be 2016, as I understand it, before this makes it back onto the ballot. Uh, The argument uh, being made by the uh, right-wing group is essentially that the California Constitution does not allow for advisory measures, for advisory questions on uh, on the ballot. Uh, The yes on Prop 49 group says, oh, yeah, they do. Uh, There's uh, this is perfectly uh, appropriate. And they argue this is the only way that the voters can have their voices heard by Congress. Meantime, uh, you know, Congress is is buried in corporate lobbyists arguing the other case, arguing for corporate personhood, the ridiculous idea. And um, but they did not. The yes on Prop 49 folks for now did not win the day. They've got a petition out. They're trying to push the California Supreme Court uh, to somehow change their minds. But uh, for now, the overturned Citizens United United Act will not be on the November ballot out here in uh, in California in 2014, uh, all right, more, uh, much more news straight ahead. But let me uh, let me grab a quick call or two on that previous segment with uh, David Swanson, uh, Amir in Santa Monica. Welcome to the broadcast, sir. What's on your mind?
4: Hello, Brad. Uh, back in 2002, uh, the neocons, you know, they which were the ones you know who set up the Iraq War. They had a map, you know, which also was produced by the Department of Defense. It showed Iraq into three sections, three separate countries. The Kurdish part, the Shiite part, and the Sunni part. We had the biggest embassy uh, in, in in Baghdad, you know, with thousands of people in there. You know, which is you know the, was the largest. All they were doing you know, they were setting up the whole situation so that you know this uh, kind of a government would be set up in in Baghdad, you know, so that there would be the rivalries and then ultimately would lead to this. So uh, all of a sudden, you to think that you know, oh, this thing you know just came all, all of a sudden, you know, with all these people being uh, with lots of uh, Ammunition and so forth, you know, it's not not a surprise. And this is all part of the big uh, plan that they had originally to uh, set up three different countries in Iraq. It also shows the same map, you know, for Iran and also Syria. So, anyways, uh, that's
0: basically what I have to say. Well, uh, thanks, Amir, and and of course, I I don't disagree with you either on on the big picture that this is you know been in the works for a while that this is all about the oil, this is all about controlling the Middle East. Uh, but uh, your thoughts before I let you go, Amir, uh, you, if you do have a mountaintop, if, you know where tens of thousands of people are about to be slaughtered and the, if the US can take action military action if that's the only thing that can be done to stop a genocide should they amir uh
4: to think that the largest army uh in the world cannot stop you know the, a bunch of uh, supposedly recruits uh it's a, uh it's a uh, it's a folly
0: so no, well no that's the point yeah. uh, amir that's the point uh, yeah. they were, that's they're that's talking about using can, Yes,
4: but 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 in reality, what's going to happen is that you know if we do send in the troops, you know, uh, because they do not, they do want uh, to fail, because the ultimately failing is what's going to accomplish their goals. If we send in the troops, that's exactly what's going to happen. They're going to say, oh, we failed, we couldn't stop, so they, it's going to escalate the war even more. So ultimately, the end goal is not going to be reached.
0: Thanks, Amir. I do appreciate your thoughts. Uh, let me go to uh, Matt. In, oh, eight one eight nine eight five five seven three five is our number. Matt in Topanga. Uh, welcome, Matt. Should we? Uh, should we do? Uh, should we take action if, in fact, military action is the only uh, way to stop a genocide in Iraq or, frankly, well, anywhere else?
5: Yeah. I mean, if all the facts line up. You know, I mean, I think that there is there's, it's such a slippery slope, and there are so many, you know, stories this way and that. If, if that is the true case, then I, you know, of course, how can we turn our backs on innocent people? Just as, you know, that really brings up the point, how can we turn our backs on the slaughter in Gaza? Uh, which is insane, and we're you know, now complicit in war crimes. So many, all of our senators are. But, you know, as far as, you know, if there were no profit in war, there would be no war. You know, Lindsey Graham and a couple of Republicans decided to persuade the Saudis to back what became ISIS, you know, as a puppet of, you know, as they are for the corporate welfare queens of the military-industrial complex. So it all comes back to profiteering, chickens coming home to roost, and it's really just another disgusting case of, of Whitey interviewing, intervening where he should should never have.
0: Thanks, Matt. I appreciate your thoughts. Uh, one more, uh, let me see one more call here uh, before I go back to some more news. Gordana in San Pedro, welcome to the broadcast, Gordana.
6: Hi, Brad. Uh, I want to just point out something to all of you, because everybody seems to have a very short memory. 2005, Katrina, people begging for food on the top of the roofs and water. We didn't do nothing. We sent the Blackwater militia to shoot them in the back and got paid for it. And now somebody's in a mountain someplace that we caused the problem, but we're going to drop them a food and bomb. Come on, get real! What are you guys drinking? Well, what's
0: in your water? Well, listen. Well, don't don't That's even start. What
6: I want
0: to say. Well, don't even start with what's in our water. But Gordana, listen. Uh-huh. I, 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 of course, you're right. The U.S. has failed. Not just in other countries, we have failed here. Uh, the previous administration, obviously George W. Bush, what happened in 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 her in Hurricane Katrina was obscene. But does that make it any more right to not take action when we can take action, if we can take action, if, in fact, that action will stop a genocide, Gordana?
6: Genocide. The genocide was already committed. One and a half million of Iraqi. So how many more million have to die? And then, no, for just one more part. we supplied Hussein... What a poison to destroy Kurds! Now we are chummy, chummy with Kurds.
0: I what listen. I I understand. I understand. But our past transgressions, I don't believe. You know, are an excuse to not do the right thing in the future. Just because we screwed up in the past, I, I just don't understand uh, how that gets us off the hook for doing the right thing from here on out, Gordana. It
6: gets uh, This is the way it gets us off the hook. Stop promoting weapon manufacturing, and start promoting education, a higher education, and promote the teachers. Without our teachers, nobody's going to go no place. I asked a guy from Finland. I said, what about uh, how your educational system in Finland? He says, the best. They pay teachers good because without our teachers, we won't have no doctors. Yeah. So get that one. Dissect that one. You Thank- talk to people that want to listen to garbage.
0: I appreciate I appreciate it, Gordana. Thank you very much for the call. Uh, And I know there's some more folks on the line. Hang in there. I might be able to get back to you. Uh, You can call us at 818-985-5735. But I do want to update a couple of stories that we have been following on the broadcast for months and months. Uh, and uh, we've got some new news in them. Among them, North Carolina, just before we went on break for the fun drive. Uh, North Carolina, the worst voter suppression law in the nation uh, that would uh, sh- among other things, that would shorten uh, early voting time, that would uh, make it illegal to count uh, provisional ballots that were cast in the wrong precinct, that would end same day registration. That uh, uh, Republican—and, I should say, and uh, would require pulling place photo ID restrictions beginning in 2016. The rest of that will begin this year in the general election. You've got a very important uh, Senate race down there uh, this fall. So everything but the photo ID restriction will begin in 2014. That hearing uh, to put a temporary injunction on that law was underway before we— Before the fun drive here, we had spoken with Ari Berman from The Nation about it. Uh, Well, the judge in that case, the federal judge, the George W. Bush appointee, has come down with his decision for now, which is that the North Carolina voter suppression law may, in fact, move forward. And, in fact, those restrictions on voting will be in place in North Carolina This November, unless something changes, a full trial on this law will not be held until uh, next summer. But this was an important case because it was one of the first tests of the uh, Voting Rights Act after it was largely gutted by the Supreme Court last summer. Uh, And the federal government's attempt to use a different section of uh, the Voting Rights Act to stop this law has so far been unsuccessful, at least in this case. The judge is essentially saying, well, no one has been harmed yet. Talk to me later on after you can prove that people have been harmed rather than that they will be harmed, uh, as used to be uh, the case before the Supreme Court gutted it. So real bad news uh, for the Voting Rights Act out in North Carolina, I am sorry to say. Uh, In the meantime, we have spoken for years on this show uh, and at Bradblog.com about these polling place photo ID restrictions that are put in place only to keep Democratic-leaning voters from being able to cast their legal vote. Um, A couple of years ago, we had an article, a study by this uh, nonpartisan news consortium calling itself News 21 that found uh, in all 50 states between 2000 and 2012, looking at every official complaint that was filed, they were able to find only 10 cases of possible voter fraud that might have been deterred by polling place photo ID restrictions. Yes, uh, voter fraud occurs, but it's done by absentee voting. It's done by insiders who are gaming the entire election. That's not really voter fraud. That's election fraud um, by stuffing the ballot box or messing with the electronic uh, tabulators and so forth. Anyway, that was a couple of years ago uh, out of hundreds of millions of votes cast. Just 10 incidents that could possibly be stopped by this kind of law. Uh, Well, now a, uh, a new investigation was announced by Justin Levitt, who we've had on this show as well, a law professor at Loyola University. Law school, uh, he said that he was a. He looked at every incident, not just those that were filed officially, but every reported incident in newspapers and so forth. And uh, his study finds just thirty-one incidents between 2000 and 2014. Just thirty-one incidents that of uh, voter fraud that might might have been deterred. By polling place photo ID restrictions, the only type of fraud that can possibly be deterred by those types of laws is in-person impersonation at the polling place. He found just 31 incidents over 14 years out of one billion votes cast. Got that? That's what these Republicans are pretending to give a damn about. 31 maybe incidents Out of one billion, billion votes cast over the past 14 years. Uh, Unbelievable. Uh, Finally, uh, I want to get to this story and then we'll see if we have time for some more phones. And, of course, Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. Uh, Incredibly bizarre development in the Don Siegelman case. Don Siegelman was the governor of Alabama, who was essentially railroaded, I should say the Democratic governor of Alabama, who was famously railroaded by Karl Rove and his gang. He was a very popular Democratic governor, a Southern Democratic governor. He was uh, believed to be potential presidential timber Way back when. So he had to be destroyed. And in fact, he was in this trumped up, this amazing trumped up case uh, for something that has never been considered a crime before. They called it bribery, but Don uh, Siegelman received absolutely no uh, personal funds for what happened. And I'm not going to get into the entire story. You can look it up. You can go to bradblog.com or elsewhere and look it up. I'll just go into the details far enough to say that 113 bipartisan former state attorneys general agree that what Don Siegelman was thrown in jail for for six and a half years has never been a crime, that he should not be in jail even now, but he is down in a correctional institution in Oakdale, Louisiana, while he is in jail <laughs> over the weekend, this is just amazing. The judge, the federal judge on his case, who should have recused himself, guy by the name of Mark Fuller, uh, Judge Mark Fuller was arrested and charged with beating his wife in an Atlanta hotel room. U.S. District Court Judge Mark Fuller was charged with misdemeanor battery and taken to the Fulton County Jail around 2.30 Sunday morning. He's a judge in the Middle District of Alabama. He presided over the 2006 bribery trial of former Alabama Governor Don Siegelman. Police responded to the Ritz-Carlton Hotel at 10.47 p.m. According to an Atlanta police spokesman, Kim Jones, officers spoke to Fuller's wife, who stated she was assaulted by her husband. According to Dan Wiston hutt uh, who got his hands on the Atlanta police report, uh, the wife explained that she accused Fuller of having an affair with his law clerk. She, pull, she said Fuller pulled her hair, threw her to the ground, and kicked her. She told police that Fuller dragged her around the room, struck her in the mouth several times with his hands. Fuller said his wife had thrown a glass at him. So he grabbed his wife by his hair, quote, to defend himself. Uh, The wife had bruises on her legs. Police later discovered blood in the bathroom on the tub. Whiston-Hutt goes on to report that Fuller has faced allegations of domestic abuse before. The Reporters Committee for the Freedom of the Press reported in 2012 that a Montgomery Circuit judge sealed Fuller's divorce records. The divorce file is, quote, wrought with accusations of domestic violence, drug abuse, and the judge's alleged affair with his court bailiff. So Mark Fuller was a, uh, a, 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 big, uh, a big macher, as we say, in the Alabama uh, GOP Executive Committee. For years, he had no experience, no judicial experience. He was a district attorney, but he wasn't a judge. Uh, he was on the uh, the Alabama GOP's executive committee. When he became a, a, a district attorney and when Don Siegelman came to power, Don Siegelman appointed his replacement to the district attorney's office. And the new district attorney did an audit of the old district attorney, Mark Fuller, this judge who was arrested over the weekend for beating his wife after sending Don Siegelman to jail for seven years. Uh, And the new district attorney uh, had found improprieties, essentially, in Mark Fuller's office when he served as district attorney. And for this reason, it seems, he should have recused himself from the Don Siegelman case entirely. Back in 2007, Scott Horton at uh, The Atlantic wrote, think about that for a moment, Fuller, an Alabama Republican stalwart, leaves the federal bench, then finds his work as district attorney, under investigation by his replacement, Fuller's federal position was secure, but his reputation was bruised. He responded to his critics by insisting he left the DA's office in sound financial condition. But he also let it be known that he felt that he was under political attack by a recent Siegelman appointee. Given that, Scott Horton writes, ask yourself, why would Fuller, a man with very good reason who have a grudge against Siegelman's entire operation, not recuse himself from judging Siegelman, Scott Horton writes, to me, it looks like there was a score to settle. It sure does. Everything about this case stinks from top to bottom. Everything. And frankly, it's remarkable to me that Barack Obama has yet to pardon Don Siegelman. Uh, I, uh, I spoke with uh, Don Siegelman's daughter uh, after this story came out. She says uh, she's rather remarkable. The entire family is remarkable. I've gotten to know them a a little bit uh, throughout this. And uh, Siegelman's I I spoke with him a few months ago while he was in jail. Uh, His attitude is amazing on this. Uh, Anyway, Siegelman's daughter, Dana, describes the news about Mark Fuller being arrested for beating his wife as shocking And disturbing, but she said, quote, it seems to fall in line with the Buddhist philosophy of karma. Dana Siegelman, uh, who we've also had on this show, uh, says, regardless of the pain that he has caused my family, I still wish him his family and especially the woman he hurt the very best. That's Dana Siegelman talking about the judge who allegedly beat his wife, was arrested for it over the weekend, uh, but who threw her father in jail for seven years. Uh, Just an amazing story. Very quickly, before we go to the Green News, let me go get one more call here. Lee in Los Angeles. Lee, welcome to the broadcast.
7: Yes, hi. Hi. I heard a uh, comment that was made by Lee, and he was saying that... um, the, you know, the United States is the responsible for the division between the Shiites and the and the Sunnis, and well, that goes way back to the time of um, of Mohammed when yeah. they had the uh, when one went with Ali, and I, I don't recall what the other uh, group is, but uh, even over in Iraq, well, you have the Shiites that are ma- a majority of the rule, I believe. And that's where the division is. But for the United States not to do anything and just let these people die and we have Americans, that doesn't make any sense.
0: So you think uh, we should take action if there is, take military action, in fact, if that appears to be the only way to stop a genocide in Iraq? Yes, yeah, something.
7: Okay. Every time that we've tried to stay out of something, we go back to World War II, we were attacked. And then anytime someone said, we're going to stay peace, Bush said it. He said, we're, I, I'm here in these negotiations. You guys are going to have to do this yourselves, try to figure it out. We get attacked. So we're drawn into it one way or another. Maybe we could not announce that we're not going to do anything. You know, yeah. we're going to just leave it all up to you. But what has been going on in the Middle East has been... We, like over a thousand
0: years. Well, it is like a thousand years, but I would argue that we've also exacerbated exacerbated it with so much that we've done, and I think that was uh, one of David Swanson's uh, big points: is that, uh, frankly, we end up making things worse uh, with what we do. And I, I, you know, I I think he's got a good argument for that, Lee. I appreciate your call. However, uh, thanks for touching base. Uh, all right, let me go to. Uh, oh, yeah, there she is. Let's do some green news. Oh no, that's not there. We go. <laughs> I'll stop the world, melts with you. I think G might have been playing her end music there to give me a message. Was she trying <laughs> to send? Are were you trying to send? No. Okay. Uh, Desi Doyle, welcome to uh, welcome to the Bradcast. Thanks. Uh, uh, Newsweek: A New Summer from Hell.
1: Indeed, and boy, you know, I don't know if you've heard the news today, but my goodness! If it's bad news,
0: don't tell me. Well, just I'm just saying it. okay. it's
1: wet news, very, what? very wet, wet, wet what news. Does that there was make? a huge thunderstorm system that passed over the Northeast. It, it left record flooding in Baltimore. It left record flooding in Long Island. You mentioned that earlier. I mean, they got like five inches of rain in one hour. They got they broke their summer record, their entire summer's worth of rain they got in like about 24 hours.
0: And that was in the 24 hours since we uh, since we recorded our latest green news report so we talk more about the broken climate system uh, in that report
1: and yes they're all connected in a way what
0: are you (laughs) connecting climate change dots again you're not supposed to do that over our public airwaves all right uh, let's get to it our latest green news report if you've been
7: alive in you know, 30 or 40 years or more, you have to realize that the weather patterns you've seen the last few years are like nothing else before in your history.
1: If it seems like there's more extreme weather, you're right. Sanctions, smanctions. ExxonMobil begins drilling in Russia's Arctic. Methane rising in the melting Arctic, plus...
2: National interest will be served only if this project does not significantly exacerbate the problem of carbon pollution.
1: Oops, looks like the State Department vastly underestimated how much the Keystone XL pipeline will significantly exacerbate the problem of carbon pollution.
0: All of those significant problems and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment.
3: I may say there's no global warming, but right now the North Pole is a pool. There's things just floating away and... in it is beyond global warming at this point, it is cooking.
0: Thanks Robin, I guess we'll take it from here. This is your Green News Report.
3: It's 105 in the middle of the country and people come up going, is it hot enough for ye? <laughs> no, I like sweat to be rolling down the crack of my a- like Niagara. <laughs>
0: Okay, Desi Doyen, before we begin, we've got extreme cold in the east, we've got extreme warmth in the west, and so climate deniers will tell you hey, the temperatures are perfect, absolutely normal, nothing to worry about.
1: Yeah, it's kind of weird. You know, when you have extreme heat on the one side of the country and extreme cold on the other side of the country, it means the average for the whole country is kind of average.
0: It's perfect. There's nothing to worry about.
1: Except, of course, there is. California is seeing off-the-charts record heat this year. We're seeing unprecedented back-to-back hurricanes in Hawaii, record heat waves in Australia, record-breaking storms, and biblical rainfall and flooding in Boulder, Calgary, Pakistan, Pensacola, and now in Detroit. If it seems to you like we are seeing more extreme weather events, you're right. That's according to meteorologist Dr. Jeff Masters of Weather Underground in an interview with The Real News.
7: Starting in about 2010, the atmosphere just got so crazy that a lot of meteorologists, it was a wake-up call for them. They said, hey, you know, something's up. And even the common person, I mean, if you've been alive, you know, 30 or 40 years or more, you have to realize that the weather patterns you've seen the last few years are like nothing else before in your history.
1: And now a new study, again, links the increase in extreme weather events to the melting of the Arctic. It confirms previous studies showing that loss of sea ice in the Arctic is warming the air above it, not slowing down the jet stream, in turn causing extreme swings in global weather patterns. Temperatures in the Arctic have gone up at double the rate of the rest of the world since 2000, and the study's researchers note that the number of extreme weather events has also doubled around the world at the same time. The melting of the Arctic is also releasing methane, a greenhouse gas more potent than carbon dioxide. In a new study, scientists from Stockholm University say they were surprised to find, quote, vast plumes of methane escaping from the seafloor in the Arctic. It's the first study to verify methane bubbles are reaching the surface of the Arctic Ocean. They say more data is needed now to determine how much and how fast the ocean's methane is being released, but they do say this is a really worrisome development.
0: Surprise! Terrible development beginning of positive feedback loop that everybody hoped and prayed would never happen could be happening.
1: The melting of the Arctic is also opening up vast oil resources, ironically, which is why Russia's President Vladimir Putin is very happy with ExxonMobil. Even though the U.S. has launched economic sanctions against Russia over the conflict in Ukraine, this week ExxonMobil began drilling for oil in Russia's Arctic anyway. Exxon's $700 million partnership with Russia's state-owned oil company Rosneft is not subject to the sanctions because it was signed before the sanctions went
0: into effect. (laughs) It's not subject because... Barack Obama doesn't want to harm oil interests, specifically American oil interests, if you consider ExxonMobil anyway to be an American company.
1: Very patriotic of them. Yeah. Speaking of oil and President Obama, remember when Obama said this about whether he'd approve the controversial proposed Keystone XL pipeline from
2: Canada? National interest will be served only if this project does not significantly exacerbate the problem of carbon pollution. Well, a
1: new report calculates that the climate impact of the proposed pipeline could be four times greater than that claimed by the U.S. State Department in its environmental assessment report. The Stockholm Environment Institute study finds the State Department did not account for the increase in oil supply that the pipeline would bring to the market. More oil means lower prices per barrel, and that triggers more consumption and therefore more emissions. The study calculates four times more emissions, enough to erase emissions cuts. From- on President Obama's plan to cut emissions from power plants.
0: So that recent landmark EPA plan to reduce emissions by 30% by 2030 from those power plants would be essentially erased if they built this uh, Keystone XL pipeline?
1: According to this study, yes.
0: Brilliant. What a mess. For much more on those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can also download us at TuneIn, Stitcher, and iTunes, and we much appreciate... And need your five-star ratings at each of them. So thanks in advance for that. Find us and follow us on the Facebook and the Twitters at Green News Report. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. All right, Desi Doyen, well done.
1: Ah, Yeah, more, more, more. I feel bad for all the folks over in the Northeast and in Detroit right now where there's more water than they can possibly deal with. Which I think brings up an important point when you have to think about that the U.S. water infrastructure is aging and needs to be replaced. And that's just on normal aging infrastructure issues, normal upgrading and maintenance, not including uh, getting ready for the great and accelerated impacts of climate change. We saw that with the uh, water main break at UCLA. Uh, this is something that, that's going to cost a lot of money that the cities really don't have right now unless we all get together on that.
0: The cities don't have it, the federal government does. So the good news. News is they'll take care of the problem <laughs> any oh, minute. Oh, yeah, right. You don't have to come in here, you know, and just give us more and more bad news. So here's some good news before we go. Yes. All right. A federal judge uh, in Wisconsin, if the federal judge who had blocked this horrible uh, polling place photo ID restriction law uh, a few months back. Uh, was undermined, if you will, by a state court who said, by by the state Supreme Court in Wisconsin, said, no, no, we got no problem with that law. Go ahead, uh, do it. We don't care that it will keep more legal voters from being able to vote than, you know, blocking uh, fraudulent votes. We don't care. So, you know, we think the law is just fine. Well, today, the federal judge has reasserted and responded to Wisconsin's attorney general to say uh, no, that law is still going to be uh, on hold during the appeal. They will not be able to enforce the photo ID law in Wisconsin this year, no matter what the state Supreme Court says, because it violates the federal Constitution and the Voting Rights Act. That is good news. So there is the tiniest sliver of good news to end this otherwise uh, highway Summer to hell show. Hell. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer. Thanks to G, our soundboard operator. Stay tuned for John Wiener and the 4 o'clock report with his guest John Dean. Ooh, I hope someone secretly tapes that conversation. We'll be back, same Brad time, same Brad channel next week. I hope you will join us. Oh, and my thanks to our guest, David Swanson. There we go. We'll be back uh, next week. Good to be back with you. You can find me on the Twitters until then at the TheBradBlog and, of course, at BradBlog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good night, world.